I think it helps when you got brothers around. It's like around here with cycling and, and training and stuff. And I was racing having like JD Beach and Hayden Gillum, Jake Lewis, and Nick McFadden, where you have these guys who are, are pushing you every single day, and you know if you're slacking that they're going to get either further in front of you or or that gap in front of them is going to get a lot shorter. Episode 4-4, Tank Slapping Podcast. We had a few extra days off since our last pod, and tonight we're going to hit it hard. Sneaky Sam on the other line. What's going on, man? Happy New Year. It's a new year. First show of the year. 2021, dude. Yeah, it's all the days run together for me. I was talking to my chiropractor today, and I was like, dude, like, he's like, how was your holiday? I was like, yeah, it was like any other day, really. I mean, all my days kind of blend together anymore, so... Um, new year, so that's exciting. Hopefully, it's better than last year because 2020 pretty much sucked. So, yeah, I'm sure it'll be better, man. I'm, I'm excited for it. Did you uh, did you do anything for like to bring in the new year? Uh, not not much, man. My buddy Julian, everybody knows him and his wife came over, and Amber's brother and my buddy Ryan. We kind of hung out. We played card or what is it called? Humanity card game. What the hell is that card card game called? He- Carter, what what is it? You know what it is? I don't even know what it's called. Cards Against Humanity? Cards Against Humanity, yeah. We played that game, which pissed me off because all of my answers were spot on perfect. And if it didn't say penis in the answer or something funny, like nobody picked my cards. I'm throwing a fit because my answers are clever as can be. And I didn't have, like, funny cards, so I, I lost the game off of, like, the people judging. They judge if your card is funny, and nobody thought my stuff was funny, so I ended up losing. But, uh, yeah, so we just hung out, man. I kept it low-key. Uh, big, big week ahead of me, so I didn't get to, uh, I didn't get crazy like I used to, that's for sure. What about you, man? Lame. Super lame. Uh, fell asleep on the couch and then woke up at 1145 and was like, hey, it's almost New Year's. And I was in bed by like 12.05. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> Pretty lame. Yeah, yeah that, that was it, man. I was awake for it. Yeah, big New Year job. Let's get into our guest for the week. We got a Hayden brother, man. We got Roger Lee Hayden will come on the show. And anytime you can get a Hayden on the show, or any, any kind of show you have involved with motorcycle racing, you're doing something, something good, man. And uh, Roger Lee is the youngest Hayden brother. And he's very, very accomplished racer on the dirt and the pavement. So recently retired, really excited to talk to him. He's a down-the-earth guy, man. He's A lot of people can really relate to him. He's just a good old boy from Kentucky, man. And just like all the Haydens, they're really, really down-the-earth people. I'm excited to talk to Roger Lee a little bit. Just the Hayden name, I mean, racing royalty, not much more you can say, you know, just to sum up that name than racing royalty. I mean, it kind of sums it up pretty good for me. But, yeah, I'm really excited to talk to Roger. Did some, you know, uh, some flat track racing back in the day, uh, went on, had a great road race career, then came back recently during the AFT days, did a little bit of flat tracking and just want to see what he's up to nowadays. I know he's doing a little... uh, He's involved with some things with with, uh, Moto America, and yeah, it'd be cool to talk to him and uh, get his scoop on things. Yeah, he's a 2004 and 2005 Super Sport runner-up. He went on to win the 2007 Super Sport champion, and then he did some wild cards in MotoGP. He finished top 10 at Laguna Seca as a wild card in 2007, rode Moto2 in 2010 for one of our former guests, Kevin Schwantz, 
and then he rode the um, entire World Superbike schedule in 2010 on that Kawasaki, and then just came back. A lot of podiums, a lot of race wins, and AMA Superbike, Moto America, obviously the 2002 podium at the Springfield TT with Tommy and Nikki. We'll we'll talk about that, and just uh, yeah, just a super super fast guy. I'm excited to get his insight, man. I, I don't know Roger that well. We chat here and there. I definitely have a lot of respect for him, and I'm excited to learn more about him. I want to make sure we shout out our sponsors and make this show happen. Bell Power Sports. Got to make sure you check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products. The Bell Race Star Flex is what many, many riders in our paddock and Moto America use. And then the uh, the Moto 9, the motocross helmet and supercross motocross. Make sure you check Bell Helmets out. The uh, quality and safety of those helmets are unmatched. If you start tank slapping, you want to be protected by Bell. Big, big shout out again to Jerry Stinchfield, Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas. Between sponsoring teams and riders and the series and our podcast and helping put on events, Jerry keeps the sport of flat track going. And Climb Sports, they're driven to produce the most advanced motorcycle apparel on the planet. They are also a sponsor of the Winter Throwdown. So shout out to Climb for coming on board, supporting our podcast. Check them out at Climb.com. They have snow riding gear, street riding apparel, jackets, gloves, off-road riding apparel, and a lot, a lot more. They are also on social media at Climb Motorcycle, and that's K-L-I-M, Sammy. Yeah, let, let's get right into it, man. I, I don't know if you're ready to talk to Roger, but I am. Uh, we got a couple more minutes here before I said said we'd call him. We'll um, talk a little bit about what's been going on. Not too much, man. I uh, I did listen to Off the Groove today with uh, Scotty and Jeffrey Carver. That was a really good episode. I, <laughs> I, I enjoy listening to Carver. He tells it how it is, and I, I have a lot of respect for riders who don't have robotic personalities, and they just say whatever the hell's on their mind, and and Carver fits that mold, and I, got, I did get excited. I heard he might be riding production next year, so I, I think that's great. I, I love any competition we can get in that class, and from what it seemed like, he might do some Super Twins races. He might do some production. He might maybe do some singles. He didn't say that, or hooligan racing, or who knows what that guy yeah. will do, but that was that was a real good interview. I, I definitely enjoyed that one. Yeah, you know, um, I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't get to listen to the whole thing. I, I had a pretty busy day, so I didn't get to get through the whole thing. But uh, it was a great show, and I can't wait to finish it. I guess he might be trying for a, a motocross uh, deal at Loretta's. Yeah, I heard that. That's kind of on my bucket list. I've, I've been training pretty hard to uh, eventually try to qualify for Loretta's. I don't think I'm quite there yet. I, I'm thinking, like, maybe if I have 17 more years of hard training, I could probably go for 50-plus um, Does Chambers know about this? I uh, mean, because that that kind of works perfectly with you and him, and him getting into you know flat track, and then you getting into motocross. Like, yeah, you got to yeah. get Chambers involved. I don't know. Well, we could call him. We could call him and see what his thoughts are. Thirty plus class at Loretta's—that's no fucking joke, dude. I mean, when Carver said thirty plus, I'm like, damn, dude, you better be training hard because those guys are all former pros. Like they're fresh out of the pro moto ranks. So thirty. Plus class is no joke anywhere. Like I used to think when I was a kid, I was like, oh man, a bunch of old guys racing, you know, 30 plus old man. But then, you know, like look at the district six 30 plus class. And like, it, it was pretty stacked there for a while. I mean, it still is of course, but it's like, it's pretty insane. You know, I mean, I mean, Corey, you can qualify for the 30 plus if you were just, if you weren't pro racing. So, you know, it's, it's no joke. Well, Carver, his birthday, he said he's uh, he's coming to the Winter Throwdown, so I'm pretty 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 excited about that. Um, but his birthday is Sunday, and he'll be 30. His 30th birthday will be Sunday, so that's it's crazy to think about because him and Shana, they're basically the same age. They were rivals growing up, and 
battled pretty hard throughout the amateur bike days and Shayna, i guess i don't know if i can say it but she'll be 30 soon too yeah. so <laughs> that's the right, fresh two, two things and two things one you gotta mess with carver and just sign him up in the 30 plus class just as a joke <laughs> and then uh but a prediction uh what do you think he's gonna ride down there well i mentioned it on the show but i already oh, knew see, about i it didn't too. listen to the whole thing yeah so. a good friend of mine andrew butler he andrew's got a suzuki 450 and and I was going to ride that bike. Andrew, we talked about it, and I was going to try and, and pull double duty and ride it. And the more I got thinking about it late at night, I'm like, dude, there is no effing way I can race my event and also do what I do to that extent. So, unfortunately, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna race it. It's just like, dude, I'm still a competitor. Like, I'm still at racing at the top level. I think I could win. So it's hard to sit back and watch somebody else win all the money I helped raise when I could go out and try and win it. Um, so anyway, Carver's riding that bike, and then he's going to also bring his I, But bike. I totally get I totally get why you wouldn't ride, because I know you got your plate full. I mean, there's a lot to handle on that day. So you're going to be, uh, as they say, busier than a one-leg man in a you know, a butt kicking contest, right? That's pretty good. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be good. We'll talk about the winter throwdown after we call Raj. But yeah, that was cool, man. Um, not a heck of a lot else I've seen this week. I, I don't, I haven't had any chance to really look around or anything like that. It's, it's been wide open. George Roeder at Lima shit, man. Just, just getting everything sorted for the weekend. I leave first thing Wednesday morning, 4am I'm rolling out, heading down to Florida. So, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll touch upon that a little bit. Are you going to get any riding in while you're down there? I mean, you know, I'm going to probably ride a little bit thursday there's uh the track has an open practice i'm gonna do a, a few laps on thursday just to wet my whistle while i'm down there I, I wanted to bring my motocross bike but i don't even have room in my van to bring it i have too many prizes and giveaways and tires and all kinds of shit which is good for the riders but but yeah so i'll ride a little bit but yeah it's pretty much just my main goal is putting on a good show man that's all i that's all i'm trying to do and we uh we, we put a lot into it so we'll have a few things i want to mention on that because this will be the last pod before the throwdown so i want to mention that a little bit but yeah i mean i think we've waited long enough i think we'll give roger a call let's give roger lee a call carter hello roger lee Corey texter sammy sabedra how you doing man doing good how are you oh i'm good i'm good all right man how, how was your uh, happy new year how was your new year's I was it was pretty low key actually. I didn't really uh didn't really do too much. I just kinda actually hung out at my parents' house with uh my nieces and my nephew and that was about it. I didn't even make it to New Year's. Oh man. Man, show, showing your age now. No. <laughs> I know exactly. That's what me and my wife were talking about. Like man, we made the we made New Year's if it, if it was on Eastern time but not on Central. <laughs> yeah man I, I, i'm not far behind you i was just telling Corey before you came on i was like I, I was asleep on the couch man and luckily i woke up at 11 45 just in time to you know see it happen and then i was like by like 1205 i was back in you know bed <laughs> so yeah <laughs> i guess uh you know par for the course right now with with just the way everything is and Combine that with, you know, being an old guy, it, it's pretty easy not to uh, get too wild and crazy on uh, New Year's. But since we're talking about New Year's and, I mean, you know, and, and, and you know, just the Hayden family, a any big traditions in years past there on New Year's, big parties or anything like that? Or has it always been kind of low-key? 
we used to have this kind of like this building where uh, I go fishing at a lot. Our, our family owns it's called Victory Lane. Actually, Mickey bought it a long time ago, and uh, we're like this little building where we have like family functions and all that. But uh, we have some pretty good New Year's parties, and then just everybody got older and got kids and stuff like that so we haven't had it in a long time but you know like 10 years ago we had about a five-year stretch we had some pretty good part halloween party and new year's party nice. i love it that's awesome uh what, what have you been up to otherwise i mean i know you're kind of retired ish i mean you're retired but i mean i'm sure you'd well we'll get into that later but yeah you're retired right now and do some stuff with moto america we're big moto america fans i, I watch all the races and I thought you crushed it on the commentating. Everything you did with Moto America, man, I thought you added a lot to that program, and it was cool to see. What else are you involved with since you retired? Is there a lot going on right now for you? No, actually, there's not a lot. Um, I've been doing some teaching at the the Champ Riding School, uh, which has been pretty fun, man, because I was a Suzuki rider forever, and before that I was a Kawasaki rider. And in our contracts, you're never allowed to ride another bike. Well, I take that bike. Don't get caught on a picture <laughs> on another bike or another brand. So now, like, I do these schools, and, you know, I go there, and I ride an R6. I ride an R1. This one uh, student had this baddest Ducati you've ever seen. Like, you know, the all the works. Got to ride it for a couple of laps. So it's pretty fun to to go there and, and ride all these different bikes and um, not worry about the lap time. You know what I mean? Like, right, turn all the right. electronics off, uh, see how bad I can smoke the tire, and just <laughs> finally ride for fun because being a factory rider for so long, I never get to go ride for, you know, for fun. There was, a, I mean, the boss had to stop watching out from the first lap, so you never really get to go and uh, get to go kick it. And, you know, that the first year I was retired during those flat track races was like, was like the perfect balance of, you know, not wanting to race, but then, you know, wanting to steal a little bit and just doing uh, doing a couple races. And it looks like this year I'm uh, not doing flat tracks, but I'll be doing the uh, announcing again, possibly. For Moto America, we've uh, been talking about that and uh, doing some of those schools and then also working a little bit with that American Racing Academy. You know, it's kind of starting to help develop uh you know in europe and in italy and places like that they have all these academies for these kids to start racing and you know get coaching and stuff from you know like in italy they get the vr46 academy which is you know it's way advanced and a lot of these other ones but you know the american racing academy is kind of starting to get going and it's uh you know they get that moto 2 team that joe roberts was uh, was on last year, got a couple of pole positions and got on the podium. And actually, this coming year, Cam Bobier is uh, is their rider. And, uh, you know, we're trying to get this thing going here in the, the U.S. a little bit and getting a little more involved in that. And, uh, you know, last year at, at the Moto America Rounds, we had these Ovalley Cups, which uh, was awesome, by the way. kind of lets the young young kids here in the U.S. race against other really fast young kids instead of waiting until they turn pro and uh, then they got to race against pro riders. Now you can kind of get going a little bit sooner. Yeah, I 
I agree with, you know, what you said. That's, that's really cool. And you talked about like, you know, the, the VR 46 training camp and, you know, obviously they like you said, in Europe, they're a little bit more advanced with the training camps and, and getting these young kids going. So it's great to see that happen here in, in the States. But, uh, you know, going back, you know, at one time, uh, Americans kind of dominated GP racing, right? Uh, do you see it getting back to that point? I'm sure you do. But like, w- what's your take on it? How long until you see just a handful of Americans over there just kicking butt? Well, I think that's really the the goal, you know, to finally try to get Americans a lot more over there with the American Racing Academy. I mean, also, Moto America is kind of building this thing back up from ground zero. I don't think people realize the way the series was going, the direction. Um, five years ago, if you called somebody in Italy and asked if they wanted to come race in America, they would have laughed. If you would have, you know, somebody would have, looked at America for, for talent, they would have, they would have laughed. And now, you know, we're going to have two Americans in Moto2 next year. We're going to have, you know, um, Gerloff and World Superbike. So I think now we're starting to get that trend where we're starting to get some guys over there that are starting to make a little bit of noise. And, and um, you know, we've seen this year with uh, Zanetti, the, Ducati test rider came over and did the, the last three races, and I think now, you know, we're kind of starting to, you know, make a little bit, a little bit more noise, and hopefully those guys can go over and do well. There's a lot of pressure on Cambovier to, to go over there and do well because he's been our champion the past couple of years. So if he goes over there and does really well, it makes our series look really good. If he goes over there and struggles a little bit, I think it's going to make our series look a little weaker. Yeah, I was going to kind of bring that up later in the interview, but now that we're talking about it now with um, with Joe Roberts, Cam, and all those guys, do you have any predictions for how they're going to do? Um, you know, obviously Cam is phenomenal. Anything he's done here in America, he's he's excelled at. You know, he has some experience over there. And Joe really surprised me this year. I'm sorry, last year, I guess. But he, he had some really good results, and he actually surprised me. I always knew he was a good rider, but you know, overseas, at least the last decade, we've really struggled as a country over there. And, and, you know, hats off to Joe and Gerloff for setting the tone a little bit. I don't know if Cam would have gone over there if he didn't see the success level of Joe Roberts and of Gerloff. I think that kind of motivated him a little bit. Um, I'm not sure if you would agree with that, but what are your, what do you think uh, for predictions on how those guys are going to do? I definitely agree with you that it definitely gave Cam some motivation to go over, you know, start seeing those guys do well. And, uh, you know, knowing that he, you know, he, he could run with Garrett and beat him the year before and then see him go over there and do so well. And the thing with Joe Roberts, when he first turned 16, he came in with the bang, you know, he won a lot of the super sport races that, you know, that the kids were racing. It was, I don't know if it was super stock 600 men or not, but, when he first turned 16, he came in and he won all those races. And his lap times were as fast or faster than the guys in the super sport class. And then some some things happened. He had, you know, a little bad luck. And it was like he lost his confidence. And it looks like he got that back. And uh, you know how it is when you have confidence and when you don't. And he struggled those couple years and just looks like he lost his confidence. And this, this past season, 
whatever it was, I don't know if it was, you know, he had John Hopkins, you know, another guy that's part of the American Racing Academy in his corner, and I think that that helped him a lot. You know, the bar, I think, has to be pretty high for, for Joe Roberts next year because he's on the bike that won the Moto2 World Championship and uh, moves into that team that won the Moto2 World Championship. And this year he had some some good rides. But you know how much he just had to learn so much by racing with the guys at the front that I think he can carry over for next year. And, um, you know, I, I'm not saying he's going to be world champion next year, but I think he's going to, you know, do well. And I think hopefully he's going to want to be the top American. And I think that's going to help him, you know, Cameron going over there. And I think um, that's that's going to help him. And, you know, even Tony has said this before. I mean, Cam Bobier is the most talented guy that I've ever rode with in the U.S. And uh, I I knew it the first year. He moved in a superbike. You know, I think it was Indianapolis, and me and him was battling for the the win there. And afterward, the race, I told my guys, we're we're in trouble. I mean, this kid is, is special. Just some of the stuff that he was he was doing on the bike, you could hear him mid corner picking up the because the Yamaha R1 is so loud, and you could just hear him picking up the throttle so early. You could hear him going through this long like switchback section. And you can hear him never shut the bike off completely. And uh, you know what that does? It doesn't let the weight transfer. And he right. was so fast through there doing that. And um, so I think he's going to do well. I think he's going to surprise himself. I think uh, the thing is, is we talked about this earlier, the confidence. If he goes over there and struggles a little bit the first few races, can't get down on yourself. You know, you got to – Keep believing that the lap times he had this year at some of the races were just, I mean, honestly, who knows how fast he could have went at some of these races this year because he'd have a six-second lead before, you know, five laps. And he could kind of right. see 10 from there. Yeah, he dominated for sure. I mean, you know, Roger, you know, you, you talked, you touched on something kind of like on, on a technical side, you know, you're talking about, you know, how he, he would – stay on the gas and you know and obviously that that correlates with weight transfer uh on the motorcycle you're a guy that's raced both flat track and and road race at a you know an elite level um most people would you know say hey yeah tech you know road races uh road racing is uh you know known to be a, a much more technical sport but comparing the two flat track and road race uh, and a guy, like I said, that's rode both at, at an elite level. What are some of the big differences with, with like, you know, on a technical level and, and chassis setup between like flat track and road race? I mean, I, I'm not a road race guy, so I have no idea how involved it is. I mean, I have an idea because I, you know, work on flat track motorcycles and, and, and I tune for some guys. But uh, and, and most of us listening to the show, we know what we have to do to make a motorcycle work but i would imagine that it's so much more precise when you when you're dealing with you know something that's so consistent like a, a road race track how big is that difference between flat track and road races is essentially what i'm I asking think the, the the biggest thing and i think flat track is starting to go this way some is is just electronics 
with with the you know in road racing right now is just I mean it's insane. Like we can switch maps during the race. You know, more traction control, less traction control. Can take power away with different buttons on the on the handlebar. You know, you can tune your bike in for every corner. You know, with electronics, where it used to be, whatever electronic setting you had in second gear would be the same for every second gear corner. So you would have to find a, you know, a happy setting for all the second gear corners or third gear or whatever. Now you can go in and you can change every corner. Wow. Uh, more power here, less power there. And you'll hear sometimes in MotoGP, like sometimes with the electronics, if there's like a problem with the GPS and the bike, it's even happened in Moto America a couple of times last year, but more in GP because their electronics are at another level as well, where the bike will get lost. So you'll be in turn four, and they'll think the bike's in turn eight. <laughs> you know, and it will just ruin your whole race. That's crazy. Because, you know, it, it, it doesn't happen often, but, it, it you know, it's like it's happened here and there. And even in Moto GP, the guys now, like, you know, they could use more power, but they have a – you know, they can only use so much gas in the race or, the, the you know, the gas tank's only a certain size. And even, like, when Nicky was at Ducati, sometimes his bike would get slower toward the end of the race because he'd start running low on fuel. Okay. And the bike and the bike would know that and start taking power away. <laughs> I mean, that's one way of not running out of gas, I guess. But, yeah, that's wild. Um, I want to talk about kind of – kind of your flat track history a bit. We have a lot of a lot of fans on here that are flat track fans and you know, growing up, you grew up with obviously Earl as your father. He set the benchmark for race dads. I mean, so many racer dads model what Earl did for you guys growing up. Um he's got his books. I've read all of his books. I've read, you know, it's um just really really interesting stuff and I think a lot of um like I see Earl signing autographs for people, man, all the time. He's like a legend. So was it a boot camp style childhood or was it kind of more low key? I mean, it doesn't seem like it was super. I mean, I, he was structured and things like that from what I've read, but how serious, like you guys still had fun, obviously with racing. It wasn't all, you know, serious. No, it was definitely not boot camp style. Or A lot of people I think kind of have that kind of that perception. You know, my dad was just all about effort. Like, if I got dead last, but he knew I tried my best, he was cool with it. You know, one of his big things was, which he would like you, Corey, because you're good at this, is getting a good start. Because he just thinks that's down to, like, focus. Right. You know, like you're not sleeping on the line, he would say. And he knew as we got older, like, you know, you get to a point where, yeah, your parents want you to do good, but, you know, I would want to do way better. My parents would want me to do good just because, you know, I'm the one training and, and all that. And I think it just having brothers and Nikki was at another level, right? Like, you know, you hear about those people like just crazy about racing or, or sports or, or whatever. That's how he was about racing. You had to either raise your bar and try to keep up with him because he wanted to ride every single day. You know, when training got big, he wanted to train every single day. And if you're slacking, then he's just getting that much further ahead. So he kind of, kind of, you know, raised the bar. And he's been like that forever. And uh, I think it helps when you got brothers around. It's like around here with cycling and, and training and stuff. And I was racing, having like JD Beach and 
Hayden Gillum, Jake Lewis, and Nick McFadden, where you have these guys who are, are pushing you every single day, and you know if you're slacking that they're going to get either further in front of you or, or that gap in front of them is going to get a lot shorter. And uh, we had a lot of fun for sure, but, you know, also my dad was he was pretty ser- kind of serious because, you know, he's putting a lot of time and effort and, you know, family away from each other. But, you know, if I did, I had a bad race and I tried my best. He, he was cool with it. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, that was, it's, it's interesting to hear. I just, um, you guys were all really successful and I just liked, I mean, as a father now, you know, I look at Earl as a role model I and mean, you guys are role models for me, you know, as far as the riding goes, but you know, I'm training a, a young racer and trying not to overdo it. Like it gets tough. Cause like he's, I don't know, you get kind of sucked into the whole peewee dad stuff. So yeah, I was just kind of curious on that a little bit. And I think what you said too, having people to push you, having brothers or siblings or friends, you almost like just want bragging rights on the bicycle, almost as bad as you want to win on the track. So, um, you yeah, know, it's, like for us, you <laughs> like with Jake and Nick and all these guys, like the last thing you wanted to do was get dropped on the bike, <laughs> you know, cycling because you would never hear the end of it. So, so I think uh, it helps a lot. You know, you, you talk about all these guys, you know, obviously, you know, uh, the world has gotten glimpses of the, you know, the Hayden compound and, the you know, the backyard track that you guys have. And I mean, I'm sure the list of names that have gone through there is pretty incredible. Uh, I'm sure, you know, you you and your brothers own the place. I, I know it's probably really hard to beat you guys there. But outside of a of a Hayden, who's been the toughest guy to beat in your backyard who's the fastest guy well on the flat track bike i would say uh jd easily you know he's definitely really fast i mean especially on a you know like a 450 or whatever he's probably definitely the guy to, that sets the pace and then on the turn track well nikki was fast too but outside of of that all those guys but jake lewis is really fast on uh on a turn track dirt bike as well so uh you know, if it wasn't uh, Nicky, it was, you know, Jake Lewis was definitely really fast. And even, you know, that's the thing is about having so many competitive guys. If you show up and you're, you know, you're a little bit off that day, you're going to be like fourth or fifth quick. You know, you couldn't just have an off day or, you know, oh, I don't feel like riding a day. I'm going to just put, not put out full effort. Then you're going to be like the fourth or fifth guy. Yeah, I, I say it a lot on the show. Iron sharpens iron. I mean, it's it's good to have good training people and, people to go head to head with it just makes you better um but yeah going into you know three amateur ranks you you did well you know it was it's tough being behind nikki i mean nikki and tommy being you know brothers that are already accomplished and you're trying to set your own path trying to you know make your own results and things things like that when you turn pro you know you rode the 883s a little bit for maroney actually i want to hear now that i mentioned maroney um i think it was pat wasn't it sammy who's telling us about he gave Roger Lee one of the fast, fast 883s, and he was you, you like won yeah. Springfield. He's yelling at you to slow down because the bike was illegal. Um, no, it was remember the no remember those former USA races. Oh, it was a road yeah. tax, right? Yeah, and it was like remember they had like the 504 class or a restrictor or or something like that. Yeah, if you rode a road tax, it had to be restricted, and then 450s were wide open or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I had a restrictor in mind because I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean, Will Davis was racing then, and like I just checked out on Will Davis at the Indy Mile, and hell, I just thought I was a 
thought I was something special. And then they want us to go to tech and Maroney's like, no, nah, we're going home. I'll, I'll give you the money, but I, they let me keep it. So I guess it worked out, but yeah, no, it was the, uh, it was the Indy mile then that former USA, whatever that, like that 600 class. Yeah. That's what he said. He didn't, he's like, I thought he'd maybe get third or fourth, you know, he's a young kid, but you went out and you kicked everyone's ass. And he had to flag you down try. He's like yelling on the front straight. Like, yeah, I don't win by so much. It, it looks really bad. So no, I think that was funny. And what was it like going from the amateur to pro ranks as a, you know, back in that era, the early two thousands or what, what, maybe it was late nineties. I don't even, I don't know exactly when you were a rookie, but how was that transition? And I mean, you were racing guys like Springer and Parker and Chris Carr, so it's you know it's that's a really cool era. It was it was it was definitely harder. I think like most guys who go from amateur to to pros, you think you're ready, and you don't realize how big of a jump it is, right? I mean, you're used to getting on your worst day. You know, if the up and coming amateur, like a really good one, on your worst day, you're getting second or third. You turn pro on your worst day, you're watching the main event. And I don't think people realize the jump. Like when even in road racing, you know, back then like everybody rode the six hundred class. Like we didn't have like you know, now they have a class for like sixteen year olds to kinda get their feet wet in the pros. My first road race on a six hundred was against my brothers, the Bostroms, Miguel Dohamo, Aaron Yates, Jamie Hacking, Goberts, the whole the whole list. Of, uh, I mean, I don't want to be like, oh, back in my day, but really it was it was hard. And even moving to the Superbike class, <clears throat> I don't think people realize how how much harder it is when you move up to Superbike. And uh, I think that's just the biggest thing. You can tell people how hard it is, how difficult it is. They don't get to see until they, they get that experience. You know, you see a lot of guys even starting up-and-coming amateurs now move up and race the 400 class even though they're not 16 yet, they're 14 and they're winning every club race by, you know, a country mile. And they think, you know, I'm going to win. And they show up and they're hovering around, you know, 10th place, can't hardly get in the top five. It's just, the jump is just huge. Like you try to explain it. And as a kid, you're, you know, nobody can tell you anything. And you think you're going to turn pro and you're going to start racing all your heroes. Well, it's not really that easy. It's not that easy. Uh, if that you know that's the some serious truth right there you know it, it roger you've been around uh flat track kind of you know two different two different eras how would you compare the the ama days of you know what the flat track world was like and then compared to your time with aft racing what changes have you seen in the sport what was the the biggest difference and what do you see for the future of the sport well, I think the biggest thing now is, I mean, I know the last couple of years, Briar and Meese has kind of dominated, but it just seems like there's a lot more guys that can win now on a given weekend. You know, last year, you know, Price about won a, a race, and you can see other guys on certain weekends be be up there. And I didn't really – I only did like one year on the 750, and I made a couple mains, so I can't really – judge but i mean i just you just don't realize how fast those guys are and like their throttle control and the way they just fully commit was just people don't you can't experience flat track unless you go there right like you watch it on 
you know, fans' choice, and it looks like, oh, my God, these guys are just going in a circle. But then when you try to do it, it's like, you know, flat track has to be the hardest, easiest sport because all you're doing is going in a circle. But then you get out there, and it's like, how are these guys so much faster than me? You know, like, what am I doing wrong? And it's just, it's a lot more difficult than it looks. Yeah, I, I, I've said that a lot, man. It's it's the easiest sport to do, but it's the hardest sport to, like, win at. And that's what draws me to it all the time. It's like the challenge of it is so hard. Like, I spend so much time perfecting my craft, and I still get my ass kicked on any given weekend. It's It's a very competitive sport. You know, growing up through the years, I don't know of anything super juicy, but do you have any heated rivalries or moments, you know, on the dirt or pavement? We like to get into that a little bit on here. Just any major rivals? Well, me and Brian Smith growing up as amateurs, we were kind of rivals, I guess. You know, like if I got second and somebody else won, I could kind of accept it a little more. But if he beat me, it really stung more. And I think... I think that helped us both, actually, because we really pushed each other as, as amateurs. I mean, that was the guy I knew I had to beat going to amateur nationals and, you know, made me better because I wanted to practice because I knew how good he was and if I wasn't prepared, he was going to, you know, beat me pretty bad. And uh, <clears throat> when he beat me, I was not real happy, like really mad. And when I beat him, it had a you know, if I won a race and he wasn't there, it had a different feeling. That's how I compare a rival. You know, like if you win and it doesn't feel that it feels good but not that good, then you know, nobody's really your rival. And he was mine growing up. And then also when I went road racing was uh probably Jason Savo. And I made the my the best, stupidest pass of my life around uh what was it? Oh yeah, the last corner at, at Road Atlanta before they changed it because there was a wall right there on the other side and it was the last lap this Superstock 1000 race and he was winning and you had to shut off for the last corner a little bit and there was a wall right there and I'm like I'm not shutting off and went around the outside of him and my brother and Larry Pegham both said don't you ever do anything that stupid again because <laughs> if it would have went bad it was going like helicopter ride bad but I won the race and uh, it's probably if it was anybody else, I don't know if I would have laid it out on the line quite that extreme. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> hey, you know, Roger, we we talked about a, a, you know I know this is maybe a maybe a bit off topic, but on the on the last show we talked uh, uh or not the last show maybe two shows ago with Eric Bostrom we talked about leathers and he mentioned this really ugly set of leathers he wore back in the day and it got me thinking about leathers and uh, I mean you've had a long racing career and you rode for so many different people so do you have a favorite set of leathers that you wore that were like man I really miss those things or those that one set of leathers just fit so good and so perfect I I, I know from your professional career you, you had a lot of great fitting leathers of course but just going from from day one, man, from from the mini bike peewee days to to yesterday. Is there? Do you have a favorite set of leathers? All time favorite set? Probably the toward the end, my Alpine Star leathers. You know, on the I just thought my colors my last couple of years on the Yo Superbike. Whenever we could start adding some colors into the numbers and stuff with the orange, and I just thought with my helmet and my leathers, and they were so comfortable because you know they started 
you know, the, with the kangaroo leather, it was a lot more comfortable. And I just thought they fit perfect. You know, my last six, seven years with Alpine Star, every set of leathers fit. You know, like we weren't like sending them back because the arm was too tight or or whatever. They were just perfect. And I just thought the last set I had, I just, uh, with the orange and stuff in them, you know, like, I'm, you know, I'm not really a guy who like looks at colors and stuff, but when I've seen pictures, I was like, that, that looks good. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's next level stuff when it like those Alpine star leathers. Um, yeah, they're, they're next level. And yeah, I, I love mine too, man. Like you, like you said, you put them on and it's like, wow, these are made for me. So, um, yeah, I, I, I can to tell talk. you my worst set was my first year when I was riding for Cycle Gear. We were sponsored by, I don't know who it was, uh, <laughs> a team sponsor. And the shoulders were so big on them. It was like literally like you seen pictures of me and you thought I had shoulder pads on. <laughs> and dude, they, were like, they were terrible and I crashed all the time. So they just were like, you couldn't even read the sponsors no more. And then, you know, when I'd put them on, like, I could just feel myself looking like I was about to go go play middle linebacker somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all had leathers that were not um, that we don't necessarily hang up on our walls. They're kind of just the get me through the year leathers. But yeah, that's funny. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about obviously the the 2002 Springfield TT. It gets talked about all the time. I'm sure you're sure you've you've probably a- answered every question imaginable. But you know, for our listeners. Um, you know, all three of you guys, all three of the Hayden boys, they, you guys finished on the podium and that's just incredible. And, um, you know, how does that rank up on your list of racing accomplishments? And, uh, part two of that question, did you guys think you had anything for Nikki going into that? Because you were at the practice track together and you guys know, obviously who has the most speed and who's on that week or who's on better equipment. Um, so yeah, how does that rank up on your list of accomplishments? And did you guys think that you had something for Nikki going into it? Well, I didn't think to be honest, um, like a month before that I had knee surgery. I tore my meniscus in my knee actually playing basketball. So I didn't even think that I was even going to race it until like the week before. And I started riding with Tommy Nikki's he's getting ready for it. And like, I felt pretty good. And I was actually, a little faster than I thought I was going to be. So I thought, man, I'm going to go there and, you know, make the main and, you know, maybe get in the top 10. Because if you look at the pictures, I had a stock pipe. I had a motocross rear wheel. We had no gearing. We had nothing. We really just had this motocross bike. I got some cool plastic from Nikki. He was a full <laughs> Honda rider. And I was like, they're like, what are you going to do if you need spares? I'm like, well, hell, Nikki spiked you, man. He has more spares <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then I'll ever need. He, probably, he has a bike. I wasn't expecting to do as well as I, I did. And uh, to actually, I seen a picture the other day. I almost put on for the Throwback Thursday because I was on pole. You know, and after the heat race, my dad said, "Hey, you got pole." I'm like, "Shut up." He's like, "Dude, I would never lie about something so serious." And I think I was on pole because Mickey's heat got red flagged. And, uh, right. or whatever the reason was, I was on pole. So I definitely wasn't expecting to go there. And, um, especially when I didn't know I was racing until the week before. And like, I'm talking like Friday, me and my buddies are like drilling bolts and stuff to 
for the safety wire and like took the motocross tire off the wheel. And so we had at least a spare wheel, spare rear wheel. I guess it's such a huge deal for me because it was like, it was like for my parents. Cause my dad always talked about, you know, his dream would be all of us to get on the podium together. It would make everything worthwhile. And, you know, you start thinking about all the sacrifices your parents make. I mean, you know, it's, as well, you know, the the hours, the money, you know, having three brothers, you know, juggling for the family. My sisters were there. And it was just like a big family thing more than personal, um, you know, like more than a personal side, just to do it with the family. And, you know, it was, it was just really cool and definitely was, was unexpected. I definitely didn't think that I had something for Nikki, but also had no idea. I mean, if you would have told me I was going to start on the front row, I would have been, I'm in, you know, more or less starting <laughs> on pole, you know? So it was cool. And it was just one of those things that, you know, it's going to be a while before it's ever repeated, you know, unless, you know, somebody's parent, you know, has another kid because there's nobody else that's got three brothers out there. Did you, uh, dur- during that race, I mean, before that race ended, I mean, did you go, holy, holy crap, man, it's the three of us up here. I mean, did that really sink in during that race at all before before it was over? Not really, because I had Chris Carr breathing down my neck, like the whole race to like the last five laps. So I didn't really, I didn't know what was going on. I was just trying to focus like, oh my God, I'm going to be on the podium. That was more it, not like. Not like, oh, my God, we're top three. I was more like, oh, my God, I'm going to be on a podium on a Grand National. Like, don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. And then, you know, every time I look over my shoulder, I see the big number one plate. <laughs> it's just like, don't think about it. You know, just keep trying to do what you're doing. And then afterwards, it was like, oh, my God, we just went one, two, three. Yeah. One of no, flashback of all things. No. That, like, makes it more special because, you know, that's how it all started. I mean, what a special moment and, you know, for you on a personal level, for your family and uh, what a, a treat and a special moment that was for everybody that's uh, a part of the sport to, to witness. Um, that was that was a really cool deal. And who knows if that will ever, ever happen again. So that was a that was a pretty big moment in, in you know, flat track racing for sure. It was really cool to see. Yeah, I, I guess kind of I wanted to get in a couple more questions here before we go to the higher low line. But for people that want to go road racing and they're still involved in flat track, like what advice would you give parents on what direction to take? Um, would you have them go the road racing route? Would you ha- tell them to stay in flat? Like what advice would you give somebody who is multidisciplined at a young age, um, like some parenting advice on that? I would just kind of say pick one and go all in because now at the level you know a flat track and even road racing it's going to be kind of hard to be competitive at both and like really be competitive and do what it takes to you know to to make it you almost need to you know once you turn pro or whatever or get close to it, you need to pick one and go all in you know because if you're kind of back and forth i feel like you're taken away from both and so I would just pick whatever one that really where's your heart and where's your desire at and right. and that's the one I would I would go for. I just think 
you know, Mickey was pretty good at, at, at doing both, but, you know, and some other guys too, but, you know, things change, time change, and I just don't know now if somebody can be can be as competitive at both. I mean, at one time, you know, Nicky was leading the superbike points and the flat track points after the, I forget what year it was, after the first two races on both, he was <laughs> He was leading the points. I just don't know. I just don't know if that's possible now. You know, just the way, like I said, things change, and to to try to be competitive at both, unless you have a somebody like like Nikki, who's a you know a once in a generation type type talent. Yeah, no, yeah, and you you came back to flat track after you know you started in flat track, went road racing for a really long time, and then last year you were able to do some flat track events and you know he i don't know if he ever really said it i think he's he hinted it over the years nikki he wanted to you know come back and get that mile win you know race flat track again where was he at with that i mean was he was that the plan still was he did uh, did he no, mention he he, i think he would i think he would have come back for at least try to get a mile win like that haunted him for real like he's world champion moto gp world champion the one that was missing was the mile and he wanted it bad, real bad. And, uh, I think he would have came back and did some, you know, I don't know if he would go back full time, but I don't know. You would think that racing flat track after you're traveling the world for years would be pretty easy travel schedule. So maybe he would do, do all the races. But again, like I said, times change and, and, you know, I think he knew how difficult it would, you know, be to come back and try to, you know, to try to win. He definitely didn't think he was going to come back and do three races and probably going to win a mile. I mean, he knew he had his work cut out, and if he did it, he was going to have to, you know, really work at it. But um, we never really sat down and talked about it, like, you know, completely. But I think he would have definitely would have considered coming back. And you know what I mean? Because he didn't need to race for, for money no more. It was just you know, a, a pride thing and, and go and have some fun and, and chase one of his dreams that he wanted that one of the only box he's been, he didn't get to check off. Man, that, that would have, you know, it would have done so much for flat track to see. I mean, look what he did when he came back and just did a couple parade laps at Indy that year that did so much for the sport, just him coming back. It would have been a, a neat thing to see. And, but you know, his memory still lives on and, and your family's pretty uh, involved with the, with the Nikki Hayden Memorial foundation. You guys are doing some really great things there in, uh, in Owensboro with, with like, what are you building houses or apartment complex for, for struggling families? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's the Nikki Hayden Memorial Apartments, and it's just like a, it's a transition for people who are, you know, homeless or you know, single mothers or, or whatever you need to, to get back on your feet. You know, there's gonna be classes and like different stuff to, and there'll be you know guidelines that people have to you know live through, try to get a job, and you know do all that, and. Uh, you know, the thing is, is like all the kids now are going to know who, who Nikki is. But, for example, you know, Corey, your boy, in 20 years might not know who Nikki is. But, you know, he sees, oh, what's the Nikki Hayden Memorial Apartments? Who's this guy? And then they're going to do some research and, and figure out, oh, man, this guy was something special. 
And as a family, I think we feel, we feel like that's how you keep somebody's legacy alive. Because if not, like I said, you know, the newer generation, the, you know, the pretty young guys, they're not going to know who he is and, and what he accomplished unless you, you do things like that. And then it's going to make them ask questions and then they're going to look it up and, you know, know uh, not only that he was a world champion, but he was a good person while he was world champion. And I think that's the, you know, most important part of the story is he never changed. And uh, I think that's the part that, you know, we want to keep going. Yeah. It's, it's awesome what you guys are doing. And, and you said it best. He was a good guy. And my biggest, you know, I most respected Nikki, uh, obviously his riding talent was off the charts, but he was always, you know, when I got my first podium at Arizona mile, he messaged me on Facebook. He's like, Hey man, nice ride. And it was just really cool that he reached out to me and, and congratulated me. You know, he certainly didn't have to do that. And, you know, what, what I remember most about Nikki was all the bad years he had, you know, riding bikes at, I'm just going to say we're subpar. He never made excuses. And that's kind of something I've modeled my, my career, you know, as of recent, you know, I just try to not blame the bike, not make excuses. The handlebars could fall off Nikki's bike and he would just say, ah, it wasn't our day. And I always thought that was incredible and i think a lot of racers could learn from that mindset is just you know always work hard never make excuses and just try and keep your character because at the end of the day race wins are cool but trophies collect dust and and people forget you know what place you got in 2002 at laguna seca or springfield mile but they always remember your character and you know it's hats off to your dad and uh, your family and your mom you know rose and uh, the whole family you guys are just awesome people man it definitely um appreciate you coming on we we do one more segment too man we do it's a, it's called the higher low line it's kind of a a fun segment you pick one or the other and give a brief explanation on uh on why you picked that one but the first one i got is if you guys lined up on a tt today or tomorrow or whatever who wins tommy or you me and i only say <laughs> that because i'm you know, he hasn't really did a lot of riding, so I'm going to kind of win that by default. Because <laughs> even though I haven't really rode much in the last year, I was riding a lot until that last year. And his has been, you know, seven or eight years. He hasn't really rode that much. So I'm going to win that one, I think, just because, uh, you know, I was still racing until not too long ago. Tommy was no joke though. Like he was on the dirt, man. He was he was solid. Like he was one. He's one no, dirt track nationals. I would. I mean, I would change my answer if you had said, "Hey, ten years ago, I would say, oh, <laughs> I, I don't know about that." But now, with the band, he hasn't rode very much in, in so long. I think I would. I think I would. Uh, I think today I, I would maybe maybe have him just because of that. <laughs> All right, Roger. I, now, I got... hey, how many, does he get any? Does he get any time to prepare? Or do we have to like line up tomorrow. See, that's uh, a, a week. Think, a week to prepare. Yeah, a, week. well, a week's a lot, man. Yeah, a week's a long time. I would. Heck, I would just have to bet on myself and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> how about this then? How about you don't ride for another year and he gets to ride for for three months. Then who's winning? He would probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got a, another just off the wall hypothetical one for you. Um, let me see here. Um, would you rather uh, 
comment now that you're a commentator, uh, would you rather commentate for a, for the national dog show or uh, commentate a, a a golf tournament? I would have to say a golf tournament. <laughs> the dog show is just seems like you're really, really, um, <laughs> you know, searching for something and some things that went wrong somewhere. If you're back to commentate the dog show. <laughs> All righty. I got one for you. Ever done that right. and you. You love it. That's your life. But for me, I just wouldn't be my jam. <laughs> yeah. I'm just talking, jumping in cold Turkey. You know what I mean? You got to do one today. Yeah. The guy's sick. <laughs> um, I- What's what's more valuable in your household? A year supply of free cat food or a thousand dollar Target gift card? Oh, the cat food easy. That's not <laughs> even close. Not even close. I know you guys are big cat people, man, or your your wife is, so I had to I had to throw that one in there. Yeah, my wife she fosters cats and sometimes it takes a little long to get rid of some and uh yeah. We have a house full. <laughs> uh, all right. How about this? Would you rather ride an AFT race with no steel shoe or ride a Moto America race with no knee sliders? God, both seem impossible, but I was never really a big knee dragger. As weird as that sounds, like a set of knee pucks would last me forever. So I think my best option would maybe be road race with the no knee puck because i was never like i don't drag my elbow and so i don't know i have to I'm, that might be my best shot okay i got a dude i have a few good ones that i have to ask you i have a few more um would you rather win a world superbike race or win a gnc flat track main event gnc flat track main event love it love it True flat tracker at heart. I love that. All right. Uh, the Paris Dakar. Would you rather drive one of those big trucks that they use, you know, those big, like, diesel trucks, or uh, be the first uh, to compete two up on a motorcycle? Hmm. Probably the truck. Yeah, two up seems seems scary, I think. Yeah. But, hey, you, but you know, you'd be the – if. If you did it, you'd be the first guy to do it. You know, you kind of make I mean, history I, with that do one. Do I do it or do I do it and win? There's a big difference. Well, <laughs> hey, that's up to you. That's where you come in. <laughs> if I was going to be the first two up and we win, then I'd go for that. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, okay. Who's a better sidekick, Jake Lewis or Nick McFadden? Uh, I'm going to have to roll with my boy, Nick McFadden. <laughs> Jake, you got to watch him, boy. You got to watch him close. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All right. All right. Um, w- once again, on a national level, you get thrown in cold turkey. Uh, you riding a, a, you know, a Speedway GP event, or are you going to go with, uh, like, uh, a professional hill climb? Oh, that's a good one, because I want to try Speedway. But I don't know. You said you're throwing me in against the best. Yeah, why not? Oh, that that's another thing like flat track. I bet it's, they're both probably I don't know, maybe the hill climb. Those, Those speedway guys, oh, they they look phenomenal. That shit yeah. looks hard. I don't know. Have you ever rode a speedway bike, Corey? 
now my dad wouldn't let me i had i had one sitting there the guy wanted to put me on it and my my dad's right that's right have you ever have you ever rode a speedway bike ever uh roger no i haven't but i would like to one time i bet they're pretty pretty wild man i I, i'd be lost dude they don't even shut off harley so you have to (laughs) it's gotta be pretty crazy yeah uh i'm just gonna roll off two of these i got two more and then we'll wrap it up uh Eh, I'll go with this one first. Biggest, uh, okay, the best Chicago Bears player of all time, Brian Urlacher or Walter Payton? I know what you're going to say, probably. Well, I might go with Walter Payton. Yeah, that's, that's... I love Urlacher, though, but... Yeah. I'm going with Walter Payton. That's pretty much, yeah, that's 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 a tough one. I mean, because you like one guy and the other guy is just phenomenal. So, yeah, I know you're a Bears yeah, exactly. fan, man. I, I uh, I still remember the uh the championship game when you guys booted it off the upright and the Eagles kept going on. I, I got a quick how, how are you how are you a Bears fan? Because I mean, like you're closer to Indy, right? Yeah. So how 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 well, are you a Bears was, fan? I'm just curious. When I was younger, I was supposed to be uh, asleep, and the, and my mom was watching this. My room was upstairs. My and Nikki's room was shared one growing up. And I was a night owl, so I wasn't ready for bed. My mom was watching the football game in the living room. And I was watching over the, the ledge where she couldn't see me. And the refrigerator ran it in. And I was oh, like, the, dude, that's the, the coolest fridge. thing. I was like, that's the coolest thing i ever seen. This big fat dude just, I mean, I was young. And then the next day I was like totally ratting myself out. I'm like, mom, who's this? what team's that big dude on? She said the Bears. And ever since then. <laughs> I mean, I've been a Bears fan. That's amazing. Oh, it's that's been a tough crazy. journey for you, man. The Bears are it's like the Eagles. <laughs> been real tough. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I got last one. Salary is the same. Both both bikes are capable of winning. Would you rather do a comeback tour in American Flat Track or a comeback tour in Moto America? Hmm. I don't know. That's a good one. Tough one, huh? Probably Moto, probably Moto America, just because I did it for so long, I feel like I'd be better. Cool. Flat yeah. Track, I mean, I only did it like the one year and then six months, so I need like a lot of practice. Yeah. No, I, I think you can still jump in Moto America on the right bike and obviously win races. So, um, yeah, I, I've always wondered kind of when guys retire at, at the top of their, at the top of the game, like, was that a tough decision for you? I mean, you were still very capable. Was that a tough one? It was tough, but, uh, yeah, I knew it was time to retire when I started noticing stuff I never noticed before. Like that wall's close. God, if I crash here, it's going to hurt. And like all of a sudden, like that year, weird. Sometimes things like that would pop up. And I've never had that in my life. Like never cared. Like, the sketchier the area, the faster I was. And then I was, like, crashing and, like, not even pushing some races, like, being on the podium spot, and the two leaders would be gone. I'm like, all right, well, I got 10 seconds on fours. I'm not going to catch first. You know, three laps later, I'm, I've crashed. And it's like, what in that, you know, like, something happened, you know, and I would want to break later and tell myself I just – 
I lost something, and I knew it was time. I can respect that. Yeah, yeah I was you, just curious. You can't argue that at all, man. I mean, at least you had enough sense to to know when to call it quits. So I uh, got to applaud that. You know, Roger, we just really want to thank you for taking the time to, you know, to come on the show, talk to us, and, and let us know what you're doing with the Ride Academy. And, you know, I got to say, I, I don't think there will ever be a day and anyone would ever forget the Hayden name. Appreciate you guys having me. See ya. Yeah, yeah man. Thanks. All right. Sounds good. Be careful. That fridge story was hilarious. <laughs> like the, he like way back in the days. Like he must have been like a young little boy. I don't That's know how old Raj though. is, man. I guess he's probably thirty six, thirty seven. I'm not sure. I think he's probably thirty six or thirty seven. Cause like I think he rode. I, I I didn't ask. Did he answer what his rookie year was? I think he rode late nineties for Maroney's. I think um, it was around yeah late nineties ninety yeah he's gotta be 99. thirty he's gotta be thirty seven maybe around that time um yeah he's so cool uh there's their whole just so laid back just the way they talk just yeah like the accent man I just like everything about talking to those guys and dude Earl is so cool too like um just talking to Earl like he knew who I was he came up said hello just it's just really cool to um to talk with people who are successful in in motorcycle racing and we talk a lot about nikki and you know, everybody remembers nikki and and tommy but roger had like we mentioned before that guy had himself a very successful career and it's hard you know i i know firsthand to you know race and develop your own legacy with a successful sibling or a brother or a sister and that can be tough sometimes and for roger to go out and and win a championship and you know, runner up, superbike wins, all that stuff. It's uh it's he's got quite the legacy himself. So he's he's done very, very well. Yeah, absolutely. And not to mention we didn't really talk about it too much. I mean, as a wild card rider, put in a top ten finish in a Moto G P race. Just you know, that's big. Yeah, and shit, man. I, there's so much I like I say all the time, like so much I wanna ask these guys, but we'd keep we'd have I'd have him on for three hours. So it's just one of them things we'll have to catch up with him down the road, get some more thoughts on his GP career and well, we didn't touch upon world Superbike. I did. I wanted to ask him about Scott stump cause stump used to train with the Hayden boys. I wanted to bring up <laughs> Scott stump and see if he had any good Scott stump stories from back in the day. And just, uh, so much to, uh, to talk about, but yeah, kind of moving forward, winter throwdown, kind of want to give some plugs on that. Give you guys some, final times to be at the track and things like that friday from six to nine we have open practice most of the guys will be there so make sure you come out you get a lot of laps and then the race on saturday we are going to open the gates oh shit i don't even know i think nine nine a.m <laughs> i gotta check the times but practice starts at one so we're gonna do riders meeting at 12 the strider bike race is 12 30 and then we're gonna go right into practice so um, very, very quick program. We push it through. I want to be out of there at a decent time. So many fast guys are coming. Jared Me, Sammy Halbert, Dallas Daniels, Raspoli, Ben Lau, Trent Lau, uh, Trent Lowe, sorry. Um, that's tough, man. They both have the same I know. Name. I always get different. twisted. I know. They have the same name and it's, or, you know, spelt the same way, but they say it yeah. two different ways. <laughs> yeah. Dalton Gautier, Brandon Posh, a uh, road racing buddy of mine. He's coming. Noah he, Chambers will be there. Is Posh so, riding? Posh is riding. Yeah, he's riding what? Dalton Gautier's butt. Yeah, Jeff Carver. Yeah, Jeffrey Carver will be there. 
Uh, Brandon Robinson, he's won a couple times. A bunch uh, of you hooligan have... guys. A bunch of hooligan guys. Oh, yeah. Rich Heverly, dude. The hooligan legend will be there. And just a lot of uh, a lot of fast hooligan guys. Just somebody wrote to me today. They're like, yeah, I counted the hooligan guys. I was wondering if you'd have, an, you know, like a, a another, if you're going to separate us with like a B-Main. I was like, well, first off, no. Um, <laughs> and he's like, well, I counted like 40 riders coming. I'm like, shit, really? Like, so... Yeah, Robbie Bobby, Cody Cop, Chase Sathoff, Tyler Scott, um, Logan McGrain, one you Logan know, McGrain, yeah, Logan McGrain, young dudes, fast kids coming up. Uh, Robbie yeah. McClendon, um, golly man, we have so Mike Hacker, I think's bringing his kids. He's coming. Larry Pegram, Jared Vanderkoy, um, golly man, this is it's super cool to sit down and think about all the all the boys coming. Yeah, Joe Cop, my my race, I saw. Uh, I did see that. Like Cody's kind of trying to give him the pressure. That's good, man. That'd be cool uh, to see Joe Cop uh, come out. Um, yeah, there's. It's. I mean, how many pre-entries you got, Corey? I mean, you gotta have some kind of figure. Well, I didn't do pre-entries this year because it was. Um, uh, pre-entries are kind of a pain in the ass, to be honest. Just trying to file paperwork ahead of time and combining everything like entries pre-entries post-entries it was kind of kind of a pain so we're just doing all post-entries this year at the track i got kelly bell helping me with sign up um daryl brentlinger dale jones they're going to be doing the rider gate i have you know john vetus so many great people that are going to be behind the scenes with the functions of the event and then two dash for cash is the randy texter memorial pro dash for cash Sponsored by Jerry Stinchfield at Roof Systems. Chris Hathaway kicked in some money. And then John Reed, Amateur Dash for Cash for the amateurs. Um, you know, a lot of people kicked in some money for that. So something that's really special to me, both those guys made a huge impact on my life. And um, just to do like a Dash for Cash for those two is is pretty awesome. I'd like to maybe, like I said, I want to race. I want to be in my dad's Dash for Cash and make some of that money, but it's just a big job. So I don't think I'll do it. We're doing a limbo contest. We got some hype ass dudes racing the uh, doing the limbo, and that's going to be very entertaining. Um, when you see any the list of riders, I'm going to announce Sammy. You're going to be like, I gotta watch the limbo. A, a, any? And do you have any uh, predictions? I mean, you know, personally, uh, on who's gonna who's gonna do well in that. Yeah, I mean, me. you're pretty good at it. You do it at. Are you gonna be part of it? Yeah, are you gonna ride yeah I'm that? doing the limbo. I'm oh, gonna. I'm, okay. I'm bringing gear and I'm. I'm okay. doing the limbo. Yeah, if I can. I was gonna say because I know you do it Timonium. I know you're part yeah. of that. So okay. Yeah. Well, Mike Poe is really good at Timonium, and I actually I put him in the limbo. We have six guys in it, and me and Mike Poe are are two of the guys. Um, I'll kind of hold off on announcing the rest of them, but they're. Ch- former some of them are former champions some are very hyped some will send it so well, I, I tell you what i mean if anybody's been to a you know timonium indoors on the east coast ever uh the the bar is set pretty low man between you and mike poe so to to top you guys is gonna be pretty tough uh whoever's lining up for that class is gonna have their work cut out uh, that's gonna be a fun event yeah, and I got a few tricks up my sleeves for the limbo. A Timonium, I don't really mess with it too much because it doesn't pay any money, but we actually have a little bit of purse money we're going to give out for the limbo. And I always said, you throw money out, I'm going to start doing some some <laughs> some sort. And so I, the I the handbar is going to be a half inch shorter on the left side or what? <laughs> I got a few tricks up my sleeves. At, at Timonium, it's tough for me because, you know, 
previous years, it was right before the main events. And, you know, for me to do to limbo and then, you know, the pro classes at Timonium, it, it paid like 2,500 bucks a few years in a row. So it's like, all right, don't hurt yourself before the, the main event. Go as low as you can, but don't get don't get crazy. So for for this limbo contest, I ain't fucking racing, so I'm sending it. Um, you know, I'm gonna ride my shitty DTX bike, and I'm just gonna send it because <laughs> because it's like an extra 250 bucks. It's in memory of Pete Lawson, so we're gonna put on a show for everybody. And yeah, that's just another thing. You know, the the Strider bike race, the the limbo. It's gonna be a really cool event, and I'm excited to see everybody down there. And I appreciate everybody supporting supporting the event uh, if you have any questions hit me up on social media i've uh i have my phone on me non-stop right now answering questions and we'll see you down there sammy i'm, I'm excited yeah it's going to be a great event and uh man now you know knowing that you're going to be in that limbo throws a whole nother uh, uh spin on that especially you and poe so uh it's it, my prediction is it's going to come down between you two I don't know, man. There's one guy that I'm super worried about that I think is going to be really, really good at it because he's just a sender. So I, we should throw Chambers in there, man. We should throw Chambers in there. Oh, my gosh. There. Can you imagine? I think I, I asked know. him. He, I, I think I asked him, and he said, are you fucking kidding me? So, uh, yeah, I don't Chambers think. Chambers would just, just throw it, literally throw it on the ground going under that thing. Yeah, and he's uh, riding my bike, so we'd have to swap back and forth and – after he did the first try, I don't know if I'd have a bike to ride anymore. It'd probably be totaled, so probably going to pass on on, on that. Um, but I don't think we have much else to talk about, man. There's not a heck of a lot going on, really. It's first of the year. Um, we don't really spread rumors on the show. Like, if I hear some, I guess we could talk about it. But I really don't pay attention too much. Um, anything on your end, Sammy, before we nothing really i mean n nothing really super juicy you know like ooh, i don't know i just uh i don't know i guess i'm just like everybody else right now waiting on a schedule to come out but that's it yeah i saw they uh, opened up we can get our licenses for the year but how the hell can you get yeah. your license without knowing what the schedule is that's just silly like um i don't i don't know i don't want to get into that too much but it's like yeah get your license uh we don't know what races you're getting your license for but you can pay for your license a while it's like oh, selling why? tickets to the carnival man what carnival we don't know yet <laughs> yeah at least like i it, i get it dude it's super hard right now to put together a race with everything going on and things are probably changing but to have something would be would be nice because i know there's some races that are probably pretty sure they're going to happen um so we could just get some you know at least the first event so we can plan you know plan our hotels for that i mean typically it's daytona are we going to daytona can we get our hotel our, our hotel rooms and can we start building bikes for short track or what we you know a tt um just all of that yeah well i guess uh you know a little rumor uh uh andy might come back i heard which that would be pretty kind of i think would be cool and uh that's kind of exciting news it's just a rumor i'm not saying it's gonna happen but i hope it does on a personal level uh especially to kind of redeem uh you know what we all know indy could be track wise so i heard they're gonna line stone it that's what i heard so if we're i guess i did hear that i heard indy would be coming back but they're gonna put limestone on it sort of like like a york you know or lima or uh, lima's like a dirty cushion but yeah they're that's what I heard. They might do one at Indy, but I don't know. I mean, that's where I made my first main event. Indy's, when it's cool, it's really cool, but the place sucked last year, so 
I mean, yeah. Sacramento is on the well. They have a date at least. I hope that happens. Double header. Looking yeah. forward to that double header. You like you like Sacramento, don't you, Corey? I like everything, Sammy. <laughs> That's the mindset. But I do like Zach. Yeah. But yeah, uh, for real though, don't you kind of like Zach? If I'm not mistaken, don't you or no? Yeah, I like dude. Zach's cool, man. Dude, honestly, I I don't know what I like anymore because I hate Atlanta. I fucking hate Atlanta, and I did really well there last year. Um, Well, maybe you need to start hating other tracks. (laughs) And I loved Springfield Mile was one of my favorite tracks, and I've sucked there the last two years. Like every time I talk to LJ, um, my team, I'm like, yo, we got to figure out Springfield, like. Whatever you got in, in your mind that we can try there, I'm all for it. I've watched, golly, I could probably quote Scotty Dubler word for word on both Springfields last year. I just, I've watched it so many times just trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing wrong. So I don't know what I like. I like, like I said, I like them all. I'm just, just, yeah, I just want to know kind of what I have to, what I have to prepare for. Um, Cause I heard production twins are riding TTs. So yeah, you know if that's the case. I'm going to put a little bit more effort into my TT program just to get ready for that. So, um, yeah. Anyway, we'll 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 stay tuned to that. Um, as soon as I mean, as soon as the schedule gets released, I mean, it'll be all over by the time we even talk about it on here. Everybody will already know what the hell uh, <laughs> what the hell is going on. Um, so yeah, we'll 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 keep you guys informed. I want to give a shout out to our sponsors one more time to make the show happen. Bell Power Sports, all three champions from the American Flat Track Series. Well, I guess this was this is old news, but from 2019, they uh, all three champions were the Bell Race Star Flex. They are still the premier helmet in the American Flat Track Series. Check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products. The quality and safety is unmatched. If you start tank slapping, you want to be protected by Bell. Big shout out to Jerry Stinchfield, Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas, for always supporting our podcast and keeping the sport going. Climb Sports, they are driven to produce the most advanced motorcycle apparel on the planet. They are also a sponsor of the Winter Throwdown, so shout out to Climb for coming on board, supporting our podcast. Check them out at climb.com. Snow riding gear, street riding apparel, jackets, gloves, so much so much apparel and riding gear. you got to check them out. They are also on social media at Climb Motorcycle. And also, I didn't mention it on the opening segment, so we're going to do a special, special thank you and mention right now. Moto America is back on board as a sponsor of our show for the foreseeable future. They're they're really jumping on board and and supporting our podcast. And we are big fans of the series, big fans of the riders and everything they're doing. You know, like Roger Lee said, they're resurrecting American road racing right now. And it's showing with how successful the riders are doing overseas with the Joe Roberts and the, you know, Garrett Gerloff and then Bobier going over there. So we want to thank Moto America for supporting our show and if you can check out motoamerica.com buy tickets for the season check out their motor moto america live plus package and um they crush absolutely crush social media they do such a good job with their social media channels i think they have like a dozen social media people it seems like they probably don't they probably have one (laughs) or two people (laughs) that do it and that just says a lot about how well they're doing their job and yeah we want to give moto america a shout out for uh for supporting our show yeah, yeah, big time, and and I'll back you up on that all day long, Corey. That they, uh, you know, have a, an amazing social media page. You could, uh, you know, we all get busy uh, with life sometimes, and you can miss a race, but you go check out the Moto America uh, Instagram page, and in a few minutes, you feel like you didn't miss one thing uh, from the race weekend. So, yeah, really cool social media page, and uh, thanks to everybody that supports the show, and thanks to uh, all of you for taking the time to. Uh, listen to me and Corey talk. 
yeah leave us a review man leave us a, a review on itunes facebook and then subscribe spotify soundcloud itunes stuff like that it, it helps keeps helps keeps the show going we we definitely appreciate that support and if you got a tank slapping shirt post it up we want to see pictures of it and uh we'll be sure to share that on uh social media we can't wait to see what you guys are, are doing with our shirts yeah man i shipped them out it was a big, big job my, my mom and my sister came up uh love you mom love you keely they came up and helped me bag helped me and amber bag shirts and we got them all out and appreciate all those orders super stoked on the um on the whole design pipeline illustrations olivia she put that design together and my buddy adam from screen printing select he he uh he printed the shirts for us and um, we still have some we don't have a ton honestly i sold out of most of them and i restocked very very limited quantities just because i was like i felt bad they all went like the first day so if you want to buy a shirt shop coreytexter.com i put them on my shopify account so it's easy to find or you can just hit me sammy or carter up on social media and we'll point you in the right direction uh that's a wrap on this one see you guys at the winter throwdown and peace talk to you next week see ya